One of the hardest things over the last year and a little bit has been the separation that at times we've had to experience from people that we would normally spend our time with, hasn't it? That missing of the regular contact we have, whether with family or friends, neighbours, colleagues, whoever it might be. It has been difficult and we're grateful that things are improving and we're able to more and more spend time with people that we previously hadn't been able to over the last few months. Now, okay, perhaps at times there were moments where you might have quite enjoyed a little bit of the peace and quiet. Did you work out, as I did, that if you wanted two weeks off work, you could just go around scanning every single QR code? until eventually the NHS texted you and told you to stay at home for two weeks? No, it must have just been me. But by and large, it's been hard not to be able to spend time, to be separated. And the reason that is difficult is because human beings were created by God not to be separated, to have some form of community, relationships, of all the different kinds that God has given to us, friendships, uh, marriages, families, uh, acquaintances, just everything. Every contact with other creatures, uh, other humans that God has made. And being separated from other people is not what God had designed. If you think right back to the beginning of the Bible where God put Adam and Eve in the garden, they were perfectly united together and they were walking with God. They were united in the presence of God and God was with them. I was thinking earlier this week that I'd invite you to uh, imagine what it was like to stroll in the garden under the warm late spring sunshine. Uh, But then the weather we've had this week has probably made that push our imaginations a little bit too far. But you can imagine what it was like to have that close personal walk with God every single moment of the day. They could be in God's presence. And that's pictured for us there, right at the very beginning of the Bible. But of course, very quickly, as we know, because of human sin, that is broken. That closeness, that relationship is lost. God has to separate out from people who would otherwise tarnish God's holiness. And that's true of everyone who's ever lived ever since. We've all played our part in that separation between us and God. But of course, it's not the end of the story. God loved the world and the people that he's made so much that God determined to do something about it. Even when we said, no, we're better off without you. We're going to do it our own way. We're going to make our own way through life. Even then, God did not turn his back on us. And he came up with a plan to reunite a people with their creator. He worked through the story of his people. We've been working through it year by year. We did Abraham two years ago, Isaac and Jacob last autumn, and we're going to move on through the story to Joseph this year, next year, Moses, and so on and so on. As God calls a people to be his own and to be a light to the world, to show the world what it is to know God, to have God's presence and to follow God's laws, that others might come to see and believe in the one true God who made us. But of course, even that presence for God's people, even for Israel, there were limits and boundaries. To be in the very presence of God meant to be in the Holy of Holies at the centre of the temple. And the Holy of Holies was a place that only one person, in fact, one man from one of the tribes who was appointed high priest for that year could go into the Holy of Holies on one day, probably only once in their lifetime. So even though God's people had the presence of God, Even then, there had to be boundaries and limits. And that's why when Peter goes to uh, see Cornelius, he still talks about the need for uh, those boundaries that have been in place. God had to preserve his people. 
It wasn't to stop people coming in, but it was to preserve and protect the truth about God that he had given to those people that he'd called to be that light to the world. So those boundaries were in place to protect and preserve his people, Israel. A picture of God protecting them. And uh, it kind of brought to my mind that picture I was watching some of the, um, the peregrine falcons nesting on the side of Chichester Cathedral. You can uh, watch the webcam. It's really kind of those peregrines to have set that up for us. Because there's no way any human got up that high. It's massive. You can watch the peregrine parents protecting and preserving their eggs and then their chicks. And their instinct is to love them and care for them, protect them, preserve them, make sure they're safe and have a boundary within the nest that keeps them there and keeps them safe. And so God had set up a boundary around his people to keep the truth about him, what it meant to know him and follow him, safe. It wasn't to stop people coming in, but it was to stop that truth and that understanding of who God is from being lost to uh, the paganism of the surrounding nations. But what we're going to see is that through Jesus, there are two movements of people being reunited. That situation that I've just described of separation of God and separation between Jews and Gentiles, in Jesus, that separation is broken down. The barriers are removed. Reunion, reunited, togetherness is possible in Jesus. And so the first thing we see as we go through this story of Peter being called, sent by God to Cornelius' home is that Jesus has reunited a people. The temptation, uh, sorry, that's why when Peter arrives, as I said, he says at the beginning, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile because of these boundaries that had to be in place. But Peter also knows that through what Jesus has done as the promised Messiah, Through his life and death and resurrection, that situation, that boundary, that separation has changed. Jesus has fulfilled those promises. Paul says he is God's yes. He's brought an end to the separation because it's not needed anymore. Where once God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies and people had to go through an outward ritual and be called as a priest in order to go in there, what's happened now is that Jesus has come to purify his people's hearts. And God's presence now can live not in a room or a building, but in their hearts. So that boundary, that separation is broken down. And as a result of that, anybody through faith and trust in Jesus, repenting and turning to him, is adopted into God's family. That's such a key theme of the New Testament. And that's why Peter continues to say, having said you're aware that it was against our laws for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, he goes on immediately to say, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Comes from a vision that Peter's just had of a sheep descending, on which were the meats, that, uh, the foods that previously he would not have been able to eat. And it wasn't just about food, it was also about Jesus breaking down the barriers He was creating people, sorry, drawing people into his family. And as he begins to preach, as Peter begins to speak to these Gentiles who've called him to their house, he says this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. It's through faith and trust in Jesus that humanity can be fully reunited. There can be a grounding, a fundamental unity 
because we find our identity, our very existence in the God who made us and died to save us. You see, at Pentecost, earlier on in Acts, unity was, in a sense, restored amongst those uh, Jewish believers who'd come. If you think back to the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis, how people have been scattered into different languages, unable to communicate as easily into different parts of the world. Well, at Pentecost, they hear each other speaking in their own language, and they're able to be united and to be together and understand what people are saying. It undoes what had to happen at Babel. But that actually at Pentecost was very much about the Jewish diaspora being united together and coming to faith in Jesus. What we see here in Cornelius' house is a unity that Jesus has brought which extends its invitation out to anybody and everybody globally. Jesus, that God accepts from every nation those who fear him and do what is right. There is a welcoming in, a drawing in through faith in Jesus. There have been some very moving stories in the news this year of people who had to go through great sacrifice and separate themselves off in order to help others. I've seen several stories of people who work, for example, in the medical profession. One lady who had to uh, live in a caravan on their driveway for several months uh, at the start of the pandemic because of just not wanting to bring a virus back into her home where a child was very vulnerable. So she lived in a caravan on the driveway and waved to them through the windows. She went off to work each morning. But then thankfully now they've been reunited. She's been able to move back into the family home. The separation has been ended and the joy when they were able to hug each other and live back under the same roof was so moving. And in Jesus, God has done the same thing for humanity. He's welcomed those who once were outside back in. Jesus himself has broken down, torn down those barriers which would otherwise separate us from one another. And says, if you come and put your trust in me, you belong to my family. I wonder if we have that same sense of joy and gratitude that that mum felt when she was able to go back into her house. Do we have that same sense that Jesus has done what it takes for us, not only to be back in relationship with God, but to be in this close family relationship with one another, of which there is nothing else like it. And of course, this has a global application for how we pray uh, and how we see our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. How do we pray for places like the Middle East, which have been in the news so much recently? Well... It tells us that there is hope in Jesus. Hope for everybody. Jesus who can change our hearts. Jesus whose good news of peace can transform even entire cultures. When people will turn and put their faith and their trust in him. He is the source of our unity. Because he is the God who made us and died in order to save us. And it also has a more personally challenging application as well, closer to home for how we treat and see other people, especially perhaps other people uh, within the church family. The church is an extraordinary place because you end up spending time with people that probably in other settings you wouldn't otherwise have come across, who might be very different from you in lots of different ways, but are united in that faith in Jesus. United actually as closely as sisters and brothers in a family together. And so this 
moving story of Peter realising that Jesus has done this and enabled him to be uh, together with Cornelius and these others is there to us as an encouragement to see that we too are to be open and welcoming and loving of all those who God is drawing together. A radical kind of hospitality, an astonishing form of community because Jesus has broken down the barriers. Jesus has reunited a people. The second thing that we see here in what happens with Peter and Cornelius and uh, coming together, not only that reuniting of the people groups, but also, of course, the restoration with God and his presence with us as well. That separation that our sin has caused between us and God is even more serious because it affects our eternities. In God, there is life. But if we cut ourselves off from God, we cut ourselves off from the source of life. Now, the Bible is very clear that we've all contributed to that. There's not a special person or a special group or a special type of person who's any uh, better off. No, it's very clear. Paul writes in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not saved by our actions. We're not saved by keeping a, a moral law or a nation's law or even the religious laws. No, we're saved by Jesus who kept those laws on our behalf and died to take away the punishment for our sin. And in doing that, he rose again that we might be brought back to God. To live forever, we must have life from the source. We must be back with God, knowing his presence, not only forever when we die, but actually knowing his presence now, being open to Jesus actually coming and living with us and showing us God's love, as Paul was talking about earlier, to actually knowing and experiencing that God is love. And he loves us, whoever we are, and wherever we've come from, whatever we've done. He loves us enough to come and meet with us and be with us. And he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He wants to change us and work in our hearts and transform us to make us into the people he's actually designed us to be. God's presence with us through what Jesus has done. And that's exactly what Peter preaches to them. That's not just me saying it. Listen to what Peter says in his sermon. He, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It is the heart of the gospel that Peter is preaching to Cornelius and to his household. Everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That sin which had to be there as a barrier to preserve God's holiness has now been taken down, literally ripped from top to bottom, torn in two, that we might know God's presence. I don't know how often you thought about that, where the, the, the curtain in the temple which separated a holy God from an unholy people was ripped from the top to the bottom to show that it had come from heaven's initiative, from top to the bottom. And what? So what? So that we could go in? No. So that God could come out. You see, if it was just so that we could go in, then the Holy of Holies would still be there and everyone could take their turns to queue up and um, make their way in and experience the presence of God. No, the curtain was torn in two so that God's presence could come out into the hearts of people made holy of holy by the work of Jesus Christ. The Spirit floods out into the hearts of Jews and Gentiles 
who turn and put their faith in Jesus. And that's exactly what happens as Peter was preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Presence of God flowing out to people who turn and put their faith in Jesus. And so Peter, having seen this, says, surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptised with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Barriers broken down. The separation come to an end. Looking out, I don't think there's probably people old enough here, but if you ask your parents and grandparents, they might remember the fall of the Berlin Wall being kind and you can look it up there's this new thing called the internet and you can look up videos now I'm being mean and you can look up a video of the expressions of the people's faces as the Berlin Wall came brick by brick and sledgehammer by sledgehammer falling down and people even across families who'd been separated for decades were finally able to Reunite. We talked already this morning about what it's like to hug someone again after a long time. Imagine not even seeing them for decades. That feeling of joy as the barrier is smashed to pieces and you can run across and hug your loved ones. But Jesus smashed the barrier down. The one that we directed. He smashed it down so that God's love, God's presence could flow out to the people that he'd made, to come to us when we turn and put our trust in Jesus. Now, sometimes that can be dramatic. Clearly at Pentecost and here in Cornelius' house, there's a very visible move of the Holy Spirit. The result is very dramatic. It's making it absolutely clear to everybody that's watching, God is sending his Holy Spirit. And he can still do it in that dramatic way. There's wonderful stories of God appearing to people uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's great stories coming out of places like Iran, of God appearing to people and showing them that Jesus is real and alive and true and wants them to put their faith and trust in him and find life. And there's stories like that closer to home as well. But sometimes it's not dramatic. Sometimes it's very gentle. It can be just an overwhelming sense of peace when you know that Jesus has died to bring you to God. Like Paul says in Philippians, peace that passes understanding, or as I heard it called the other day, an unreasonable peace. It's not reasonable to have peace in that situation. How can you have peace in this situation? How can you feel peaceful with all that's going on? I know Jesus. It's unreasonable. It's not fair, but it's good. And that could be the gift of the Holy Spirit. It can sometimes be a very deep sense of joy, even when our circumstances are difficult and challenging, even when actually the things we're dealing with are really, really hard. But beneath it all, somehow, God has given us this joy which just won't go away. That's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's simply gradually growing in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Sometimes it's particular gifts. The gifts that the Spirit brings. Speaking in tongues. The gift of healing. A word of knowledge into a specific situation. Or being equipped to do something for God that we've never been able to do before. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives can come in all sorts of different ways depending on the situation and depending on what God knows we need. But the reality and the truth of it is, because of what Jesus has done, when we turn to him and put our faith in him and we ask him for the Holy Spirit, God will surely give us his presence. Whoever we are, wherever we come from, whatever our background, if we truly turn to him, put our life in his hands, trust him with it and ask him to be our saviour, he will send his spirit, his very presence to us, just as he did to Cornelius and his household, just as he did at Pentecost, just as he's continued to do down the centuries all around the world. The presence of God coming out and meeting us, his people, as we put our trust in him. And it's not just a one-off. Paul also writes that we should go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a a once-in-a-lifetime moment. It is something that actually we should be open to all of the time. God, fill me again with your Spirit. Top me up to overflowing, like that image of the glasses. It might not just be something in my heart, but it's something which is going to overflow and transform the lives of people around me as well. God, would you keep me overflowing with this sense of your presence with me, not only when we gather as a church family, but Lord, every single day, may I know your presence with me so that I can be the person you've called me to be in the place you've put me. If you believe in Jesus, then the Spirit is at work in your life. So let's be open and prayerful to go on being filled in whatever way that God decides to do it. And it comes right back to the beginning of where is the hope for a divided world? Where is the hope for people who are currently opposed to God and to his Son? Well, the answer, of course, (laughs) is Jesus. It's not just a a platitude or a simple way out. It's not just that old Sunday school joke. I've told that before, haven't I? The kid, child in Sunday school, they're they're learning about creation, and the person leading the group says, what's brown, eats nuts, and lives in trees? And the child eventually puts their hand up and says, I know the answer's meant to be Jesus, but it really sounds like a squirrel. But actually the answer really is Jesus. Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. Because of what he is still doing. And because of what he promises to do.